The Morning Show. The Home Team. No, it's both. It's the crossover with Sam Franco and Chris Brave. Crossover, step back! Right here on 960theref.com. Greetings, 960theref listeners. Sam Franco, Chris Brain, back with another edition of the Crossover Podcast right here on 960theref.com. I feel like a broken record, but I'm going to say it again. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. It makes it much easier for you to get this podcast whenever we upload one every week. So be sure to subscribe on iTunes. You just search for the Crossover Podcast on iTunes, and you'll see our logo and it says our names right there on it. So it's uh, there's a couple of different podcasts that have a name similar to that on iTunes. Should we be suing? I'm not sure. I don't know if we even have the uh, trademark oh, okay. on this. But, right. So let's let's just keep that quiet between us. But uh, yes, you can find us on iTunes uh, pretty easily that way. And subscribe and you'll get all our episodes. Anyway, plenty to get to on this edition of the crossover. We'll talk Georgia Got to talk U.S. soccer and the monumental failure of not qualifying for the World Cup. And we'll also touch on this weekend's Falcons and Dolphins matchup, uh, which the Falcons should win pretty comfortably because the Dolphins have been pretty poor. They also don't have an offensive line coach currently. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Since he, theirs was caught on a video uh, snorting cocaine. He's just a line coach. <laughs> yeah, right? that's right. He's a lines coach. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we'll get into that here in a little bit. But first and foremost, Georgia continues to just take care of business, going up to Nashville and pounding Vanderbilt. Uh, Vanderbilt did actually score 14 points. Granted, seven of them were kind of gifted when Jacob Eason got sacked and fumbled, and uh, Vanderbilt was easily able to score after that. But overall, Georgia just keeps on rolling. But the, only di- the only disappointment I had from that game was the the just the brief – defensive laps at the end of the first half that led Vandy to score, you know, really their only legitimate touchdown right. of the game. And because you, you start to think like Georgia was on a verge of I mean, what was the consecutive quarter streak without allowing a touchdown? It had been two games, almost two yeah. and a half games. Mm-hmm. Georgia was working on without giving up a touchdown. I guess that was nine quarters and uh, they were looking to make it a 10th until Vandy got in. But, I mean, that was the only real letdown there. And, I mean, on the subject of letdowns, expecting that, you know, Georgia's kind of, you feel like, due for one, and they just haven't. It's been relentless, and it's a it's a great feeling. This is the kind of team that we've been hoping that Georgia would have, one that just margin of victory, you crush everybody, you don't leave yourself vulnerable to an upset. And now I feel like as a Georgia fan, we can show up to this game Saturday night, with no worries about Missouri coming here and springing an upset with what this team's been doing so far. Oh, and Missouri has been abysmal uh, on uh, in a n- number of different aspects in terms of their, their team and in terms of the, the three different phases of the game. So Georgia should be able to win this comfortably. And it's kind of like what you were saying there. Kirby Smart speaks in these sayings, you know, these cliches, attack the day, keep chopping wood, all that stuff. And a lot of people, you know, think that that's you know coach speak or whatever, but it works. And he's gotten this team and every player on this team to buy into that message of of the simple message of focus on the task at hand. Humility's only a week away. You know, keep chopping wood. And and this team has bought into all that. And and really that kind of next man up mentality. Georgia against Vanderbilt was without Trenton Thompson, Reggie Carter. And, of course, Nate Patrick, who got arrested on the defensive side of the ball, 
And you wouldn't have been able to tell. If you didn't know those guys' numbers and didn't know that they were on or off the field, you wouldn't have been able to tell. The the guys that uh, stepped in played very, very well. Yeah, especially a couple guys at linebacker, Jawan Taylor, mm-hmm. um, uh, Monty, Rice Monty Rice has looked solid too. So it uh, it really was. It was a, a next man up type of uh, thing. And I, I feel like Georgia's got another gimme coming up this weekend. And then you've got uh, the off week, but uh, 7-0 and heading into what will be I think a tough final month of the season between having to play the Gators, Auburn, South Carolina sandwiched in between that, and uh, then having that Kentucky game sandwiched in between Auburn and uh, and Georgia Tech. So some of the heavier lifting of the season will be done. I think Georgia's played two good teams so far, and that's it. Um, Notre Dame, and I still think Mississippi State is is uh, is a solid bunch. I mean, keep in mind right now they their only two losses are on the road to Georgia and Auburn, who I believe have you know, emerged as two of the, the better teams in the SEC and certainly on the defensive side. But, um, you know, I think that's why it's so key that Georgia has blown, uh, especially Tennessee and Vandy, out in the last two weeks. Because it'd be one thing like, you know, Tennessee and Vandy aren't very good, and if Georgia was beating them by like four points, seven points, something like that. But to roll up the margins of victory that the Dogs have the last uh, the last three games, I think is a pretty good sign that uh, – that Georgia's a really good team, and again, it also leads us into playing a, a terrible. Missouri's terrible; they're awful, and and I think that's the key. Is there's there's not a sense that well, we still have to be on guard now this weekend, playing a bad team with what we've seen the last three games. There's just, Georgia ain't losing Saturday night. I mean, Vanderbilt might want to try and shore up their run defense. They gave up 496 yards rushing to Alabama. And another 423 to Georgia. Yeah, and I think that's that's another thing when you to, – to just go into last Saturday's game, I mean, expecting that, the, the focus was no way it could be the same. You're kicking off at 11 a.m., mm-hmm. and, and even though the stadium was – there was more red in that than you know, Vandy colors. It was 75% it looked like. Yeah, I mean, it was still a more. pretty dead atmosphere. It was. But the one thing that will help you overcome, uh, you know, just maybe being a little flat – is being able just to power run left, power run right, yep. power run left, and power run right. And if that's all you got to do, then that's going to take care of it. And quite frankly, the dogs should be able to do that this weekend against a, again, bad Missouri team. And looking forward, I don't see why they shouldn't be able to do it in a lot of their games. The I fewest mean, points Missouri's given up this year is 31. So, yeah. Yeah. And, I, and it, it, you know, some people might argue that they've got a. They've got an offense you got to be worried about. They scored three points at home against Purdue. They scored, was it 13 against South Carolina and 14 against Auburn? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they scored a lot of points against Southwest Missouri State, and they did have a good game last week against Kentucky, but against Auburn, against uh, Purdue, South Carolina. And by the way, only Auburn is even comparable to Georgia. I mean, look at their offensive numbers in, uh, in that game. I mean, this is a team that lost thirty-five to three at home to mm-hmm. Purdue. I mean, there's no reason any Georgia fan should it should even cross our minds that Georgia's going to lose Saturday. Well, and you can look too, just keeping it going, talking about how Georgia's been very good running the football. I mean, Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb. That might have been the best sign from the Vanderbilt game is both of them getting back to uh, what you expect out of them. You know, Chubb 138, Sony 150 on the ground, three touchdowns between them. So, you know, look at Florida, for example. Florida gave up 215 yards rushing to Michigan. They gave up 183 to Tennessee. 
they gave up 186 to Kentucky. Um, no, excuse me, they gave up 120 to Kentucky, and they gave up uh, to LSU 216. So Georgia should be able to run the ball on them as well. Yeah, and it was, you know, the the yards per carry Saturday was absurd. What was Georgia end up with, like, seven and a half? Somewhere close to 7. eight. 7.8. Yeah. Okay, yeah, eight, basically eight yards per carry. That's just nuts. Yeah, it's crazy. What I mean, I don't even like, not even like Navy does that. No, not that. that those are like Georgia Tech, like, you yeah. know, those kind of numbers of teams that, Let's that triple option are trying teams. to do that. Exactly. So uh, it's pretty wild what the dogs have been able to do and how consistent they've been. And like you said a second ago, there's no reason to think Georgia's not going to be able to do the same stuff against Missouri because Missouri might be in this stretch Georgia's had here with Mississippi State, Tennessee, and Vandy. Missouri might be worse than all three of those. Oh, they're they're terrible. They're the worst team in the SEC, and uh, they did they put up a a decent fight Saturday night against uh, Kentucky. But that was Missouri. They were coming off a bye, so you know they had that. They had some time to prepare. But now you're getting a Missouri team that's going to be on back to back travel. They're going from Lexington, Kentucky, back home, and then coming to Athens to face. I mean, yeah, they put up a a nice fight against Kentucky, but Georgia's way better than Kentucky, so. I just it, it comes back to this. Missouri lost at home to Purdue, thirty-five to three. Mm-hmm. They, uh, you know, in no way, shape, or form are they a threat to Georgia Saturday. And uh, with what Georgia's done the last three weeks, I, you know, I, I think the team has earned the benefit of the doubt from all the fans. And it's homecoming. It's a night game. I mean, this should be a raucous environment. So yeah, I think all of the ingredients are there for Georgia to really just dominate and and easily handle. Missouri, and I totally agree with you. This is something I've been preaching now for the past couple of weeks, ever since Georgia blew out Mississippi State. This isn't the same Georgia team that these, you know, Munson-era fans are used to. This team is going out there destroying teams, not playing sloppy, fundamentally sound football, not missing tackles, not having stupid special teams mistakes. This team is doing everything right right now, so why would you be nervous? And again, I know that things have happened in Jacksonville over the years that make you nervous. Things that have happened against Georgia Tech, and it's like, well, you got to be cautiously optimistic. Why? This team isn't being cautiously optimistic. They have that swagger and that confidence that Coach Smart and the staff has instilled in them. That should bleed through to the fan base. It should. I mean, this is the type of team that we've been, you know, for for years. We've been saying Georgia needed to be. It's like you look, you you look at a program like Alabama, and when you blow everyone out, mm-hmm. and like you know, even Saturday, Georgia had some penalties in there. But even in those little moments where you do get maybe a little sloppy, it just doesn't matter. And you know, even this year when the offense has turned the ball over, the defense has been so good that uh, none of it has has mattered. But yeah, I mean, when you get into a game and you just are crushing teams, it does two things. One, it just doesn't leave you vulnerable in that game to possibly get upset where you've got the underdog hanging around. And I think, two, moving forward, whoever you're playing in the future no longer is looking at you as a potential notch in their belt. Where yeah. You've got like a Kentucky or a Vanderbilt, or in this case a Missouri, and they're like, boy, we've had a tough season, but we got a chance. We can go to Athens and win because those guys are always – barely beating teams but not this team this year and uh you know I think the credit belongs to you got guys like Chubb Michelle Lorenzo Carter those seniors that decided to come back to school they didn't decide to come back to go seven and five no they're on a mission yes absolutely and they want to win and why are Alabama fans annoying 
because they ba- they can back up all that crap they talk. All, all the smack they talk to you, if you're a Georgia fan, if you're an Auburn fan, if you're an LSU fan, why can Alabama continue to do that and why can those fans continue to be confident and cocky? Because they win. And that's the thing. They have gotten that from the team winning. So now that Georgia's kind of doing that, Georgia's fan base... You know, be be cocky, man. Be a, be a little arrogant. Well, I don't even think it's cockiness. I think oh, it's co- confidence. It's finally confidence. confidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. my partner in the afternoon, Jeff, always oh, he's, says he's a nervous wreck. Be confident, not cocky. I'm like, well, in this case, I am confident. Yeah. I mean, I'm confident in Georgia that uh, you know, we're a 30 point favorite Saturday. Missouri lost at home to Purdue, 35 to three, and we haven't gone out the last three weeks and won by field goals and touchdowns. We've won by 28, 41. And what did the final end up being? 45 14. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, I'm confident. There's yeah. no way Georgia's losing to Missouri Saturday night. Georgia will beat Missouri. Georgia will beat Florida. Georgia will beat South Carolina. And Georgia will beat Kentucky. Those are four. You skipped a game. Well, <laughs> Auburn is going to be a very tough game. <laughs> right. I'm not, that's I, the thing. Sorry, I think, but they, Auburn's the only team to, to and, and Tech, because Tech can run the football and Tech isn't a bad team. I, th- I feel like Auburn and Tech are easily better football teams than the teams that we have left on the schedule. Maybe Tech and Florida are, are, are somewhat similar, but that's the thing. Tech should have beaten Tennessee. I mean, they got, you know, very unlucky uh, with that fumble by J.J. Green. Yeah. So And Florida should have lost to Kentucky. Right. Yeah. So I feel like Auburn... But is is easily the best team left on the schedule. But those games that I mentioned, those four, Georgia's going to win those games. I, I agree with you. I'm not ready to go to Jacksonville yet and just be, you know, chest out. We're going to win the game. But I do, I do feel like that's definitely one circle. Talking about guys like Chubb and Michelle, they didn't come back to school to lose to the Gators no. again, and they didn't come back to school to lose to Tech again. They came to each rush for like a buck fifty and two touchdowns against Florida. Right. This could be the revenge game for that year that Florida beat Georgia, and all they did was run off tackle left and off tackle right. Well, sure. That's what Georgia could do. Now here's here's the here's like one little you know being a Georgia fan that's still you have in the back of your mind. Muschamp's second year, which was his good year at Florida, they lost one game. That was in the cocktail party. That's when right. We, we upset them. So now, yeah. let's not have where it's the roles are reversed. We're having that year in, in Kirby's second year, and then we get upset by an inferior Florida team. Ugh, I don't even want to think about that, and I'm not going to because I'm feeling confident. I'm feeling very good about this Georgia but squad. No, I want to go down there. I'm like, we haven't blown them out since 97. I mean, I we barely beaten out. them since 97, but they, our biggest win is, what, 12? We beat them by mm-hmm. 12, and, uh, you know, and that yeah, was really – Yeah, 42 not- to 30 in 2012. In seven. No, that's 2007, that's right. And yeah, that yeah. wasn't a blowout because we didn't we didn't have a that, – that game, we didn't have a bigger than a one-possession lead in that game until our last possession yeah. of the game. I mean, yeah. it was pretty much nip and tuck, even though we ended up winning by double digits. And then we all remember the, the Georgia wins in, what, 11, 12, and 13 were all pretty tight. They were tight, yeah. <laughs> they were there games we lose if Jarvis Jones never transferred here. Yeah, absolutely. I so. mean, Georgia had to have, what, like a game-killing like drive in 2013 that lasted like the, the basically the entire fourth quarter. <laughs> yeah, and then in 12, he strips uh, – Jarvis it? Jones knocked the ball out of uh, Reed's Reed, hand yeah. Yeah, on the goal line. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been, it's been a nervous game. But, yeah, this is one where you feel confident and you want Georgia to go there and just obliterate them. That would be nice. All right, uh, speaking of obliterate um, – that's what U.S. soccer needs to do right now to all the people that work for them because they failed to qualify for the World Cup by losing 
to Trinidad and Tobago. And all they needed to do was draw. That's right. Yeah. All they needed was a draw. They could not get that. And what happened with Honduras beating Mexico, with Panama beating Costa Rica, and the USA losing to Trinidad, according to ESPN, that had a 3% chance of happening. Well, yeah, there was a, a like if a parlay would have paid like, it was like 40 to 1 or something. Yeah. Have you basically done all those three to win? Now, Mexico, I think there's no doubt in my mind they lost on purpose. Which is crazy because the USA in the last World Cup cycle won a meaningless game against Panama, scored like very late in the game. And that's the only reason Mexico went to the World Cup. Sure. But in the last uh, year or so, I think Mexicans... No, have, this is Donald Trump's fault. Yes. I 100% Mexicans will say that. Mexicans have been given plenty of reason to not like Americans. And I'm not trying to get political on here. I'm just saying, Mexico laid down for Honduras. They, they, there was an own goal. They yes, had an own and goal. And it hit the keeper in the face. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, I just said they it had an bounced off the keeper's face into like the goal. <laughs> oh my god! It's awful. If you haven't seen it, you got to look it up. It is brutal. Wow. But no, I'm fully convinced that Mexico just laid down. They laid down. I don't know about Costa Rica, uh, who ended up well, losing. Well, Panama, Panama scored a goal that wasn't a goal, and that kind of screwed the United States out of the, the World Cup. The ball never crossed the line, but the ref called it a goal. So what nationality is the ref? I don't know. Is he Mexican? Ooh, if he is, I'm saying. There's some stuff going down here. Not trying to get political. But still, the bigger issue is the U.S. still barely got in, no matter how that stuff played out, that it was still coming down to, like... The last day. Yeah, like Panama getting a late goal against uh, Costa Rica. Like, that should have mattered. But still, I mean, this is a complete embarrassment. I think uh, striker Josie Altador said it after the game, and this is a cliche when something like this happens. uh, Everybody needs to look at themselves in the mirror. But he's right. I mean, and I'm not just talking about the players. I'm talking about the coaches. I'm talking about the the president, Sunil Galati of the U.S. Soccer Federation. Many people are calling for that guy to get out, and I think he should. This is because this is a complete failure from the top down. Well, I don't look. I don't follow it that closely. But when the U.S. got rid of Jurgen Klinsmann, I I even as someone that like barely pays attention mm-hmm. to it, I had to ask myself, why are they rehiring that guy Bruce Arena? Yeah, and, and Bruce Arena had, had some, success, some success as the U.S. manager, but the way that Jurgen Klinsmann had built things, uh, you know, Bruce Arena kind of just took some of that and went the other way, and it, it kind of messed some things up. But you know, I just think that you know, looking back on it. The results that Jurgen Klinsmann was getting weren't great, but it certainly seemed like a panic move to fire him, and, and Bruce Arena didn't do much better. And now he's going to be gone, and the U.S. is going to bring in someone else to try and get 2022 you know, into the World Cup that way. But, I mean, for the U.S. to miss the last two Olympics and now miss a World Cup, I mean, that, it looks like the national program has just taken a huge step backwards despite possibly having the greatest U.S.-born player or, or the greatest player to play for the U.S. ever in Christian Pulisic. And he's going to miss a World Cup in his prime, which is a shame. Because uh, he could have chosen to play for, I think, um, Serbia, you know, when because his parents, you know, right. the nationality. Kid's only 19 years old. And he's going to miss a World Cup at 20. I mean, g- granted, 24, I guess, will be how old he is at the next World Cup. So he'll still be, hopefully, in his prime. But this is the best U.S. player, and he's not going to get to play in a World Cup. So it's a it's a very unfortunate incident. And for the U.S. not to have done this, I mean, you couldn't get a draw against Trinidad and Tobago? Like, that's and unacceptable. Even then, wasn't that only going to be good enough to get the U.S. into a playoff with Australia? Or were they going to 
automatically. I think get the through. draw would have gotten them into a playoff with Australia, and Australia's very dangerous. Like that would have not. That would well, have yeah. been a two-legged playoff, one in the United States, one in Australia. That would not have been an easy thing to so do. So even then, it was. We're not even talking about where it would have been an automatic qualification. That no, would have just been the to get, win would have gotten them automatically qualified. The draw would have, I think, gotten them into that playoff with Australia. But either way. This is unacceptable. I mean, it's completely unacceptable for the United States. And, and you know, the rest of the world, yes, I'm sure a lot of them are, are getting a kick out of this and a good laugh out of it. But soccer can only grow more if it gets bigger in the United States because it's already the biggest sport everywhere else. So if soccer wants to get even more big and, and you know, have the potential – to grow even more, it's going to be in the United States. And, and Fox right now, the network that paid a bunch of money to broadcast the World Cup, that's like a $200 million hit because the United States isn't going to be in oh, it. Oh, yeah. Like, I'll still watch it. I always enjoy the World Cup. And, I mean, I've always I've always enjoyed the World Cup knowing that uh, even if the U.S. is in it. There's going to be good teams. Yeah, I mean, they're going to probably get knocked out. I guess the last couple of times they've actually made it to the knockout stages. But, um uh, I don't know. I mean, the the guy, you know, you brought up the point about not making the Olympics the last two Olympic cycles and that, what was the guy that was ranting and raving on ESPN? Oh, Taylor Twellman. Yeah. I mean, he brought that up too and I would pointed it out. It's like, those are guys that, you know, are younger that eventually would work their way up the U.S. system and, and be a part of these World Cup teams. So if you're not even good enough to qualify for the Olympics, I mean, then it's going to just trickle down to you know, the team that's trying for the World Cup qualifications. So even moving on in the future, I mean, what are the the prospects? Like, here's the thing about U.S. soccer, when it's, like, unacceptable that a country of 330 million people is no good at soccer. And some will point out, well, like, you know, our women have won three World Cups and lost well, in the final and the fourth. So what is it that they're doing that the men aren't? Well, U.S. soccer on the women's side, that the USA was really the first country to kind of put a lot into it. You know, and now even their sort of getting caught up with with some of these uh, Western European nations, your Germany's, your England's, your France's, they're getting better. Sure, um, you know, but the so, women I mean, did the win the last one. They did, and they're still the class of women's soccer, but it's because the United States was really the first country to put money into women's soccer, and they were, they, they've been ahead of the curve. So I think that the men have a long way to go in terms of trying to get even close to what the women have done, but there's there's so many things infrastructurally that are wrong with what the men's side and, and what the youth development, you know, going all the way down to like little kids playing all the way up to where you become a professional. There's just there, there's a lot wrong with it. I mean, there, the, Taylor Twellman hit the nail on the head that tr- going to college does not benefit like like between the ages of 15 and 19. Those are your prime development years in soccer. And instead of preparing to go to college, you should be in a professional setting like all the people are in Europe. And well, that's yeah. how they – There's no NCAA really men's soccer. I mean, it barely exists. Most schools don't even have it. Oh, exactly. And that's the thing. But but the ones that do, I mean, that's the thing. You're setting up to try to do that. In Europe, that system doesn't exist. I mean, you can, I guess, go to college and play soccer. But if you're doing that, you're not trying to be a professional. No, those clubs start. They that's what I'm their saying. Own yeah, they have their systems. academies. Yeah. Right, yeah. Barcelona has it, Real Madrid. All the Manchester United, all the big teams have their own academies. And that's kind of what needs to be looked at in terms of happening here. It, the system does not create these superstar players like it does in Europe. So. Well, plus, I mean, kids now are – like I read something not long ago that between the ages of 18 and 25 um, – Males between those ages mm-hmm. are consuming either playing or watching esports more than they are. Ugh. 
That's sad. You know, physical sport. That is very sad. But the, the last thing I'll say on this before we jump to the Falcons is that there is a pay-for-play system in place if you want to be a good soccer player and play at a club level in the United States. That doesn't exist in Europe. If you're good enough, they're going to put you on a team and, and maybe even pay you or, or you know give you a scholarship to go to their academy or something. But for here, you got to pay for that. So, I mean, that's that's a big difference, and that system has to be looked at for sure. But just an extremely embarrassing moment. Uh, and Taylor Twelman said this in that rant you referred to, the most, you know, the lowest point in U.S. soccer history. Yeah. I mean, it's like no matter what uh, structurally needs to be done to improve things, it still comes back to being, I don't, we still shouldn't have been losing to Trinidad and Tobago. That's the bottom line. So. You should not have lost that game. All right, the Falcons, as we transition here, will take on the Miami Dolphins at Mercedes-Benz Stadium this weekend. Um, The roof will not be open for any more Falcons games this season, by the way. They announced that the other day as uh, the the structure of the roof is is an issue. The only time it'll be open this year is for Atlanta United's final home game on uh, October 22nd when they take on uh, Toronto FC. But outside of that, the roof will be closed. But that's inconsequential really doesn't matter a lot of people are mad about that for some reason it's like yeah they'll get it fixed and it'll work at some point well they played in a dome before exactly so. exactly so it'll be 72 degrees and no win chick-fil-a will also still be closed it will be yes. on sunday they do not uh, operate on sunday but the falcons should be getting julio jones back for this game muhammad sanu probably not going to be back Vic beasley kind of up in the air on onto if he can he's at least practicing yet. yeah he's practicing again and that's really good for atlanta but the opponent they're going up against i mean <laughs> the watch Dolphins. Your, watch your mouth. I know you're a big Dolphins guy, but just watching Jay Cutler just run your franchise into the ground has got to be terrible, right? Uh, the Dolphins have played four games and scored three offensive touchdowns. Why aren't they starting Matt Moore? I mean, he actually looked somewhat decent when he would play for the Dolphins. I agree. I don't know. I, I don't know why what their problem is with Matt Moore. There's also uh, there's another free agent quarterback out there who five years ago was starting in a Super Bowl. Um, <laughs> but uh, But apparently he's he doesn't know the system or something that's right he doesn't it has nothing to do with his political has nothing activism. to do with anything else but no. no there's so but yeah but anyway they've gone with jay cutler and i remember like the the case was well adam gase was his offensive coordinator for one year in chicago so he might know gase's system more three touchdowns in four games so far their pass defense ranks 31st they haven't intercepted a pass yet so in the last two games matt ryan got intercepted five times by two excellent pass defenses the Dolphins are a mess. They can't just stop the pass. Uh, they can't score on offense. They've had a ridiculous early season schedule. They opened in L.A., played their second game in New York, their third game in London, their fourth game in Miami, their fifth game will be in Atlanta. The Falcons, I mean, there's no reason they shouldn't just completely obliterate Miami Sunday. Oh, absolutely. Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman should have big games. They should be able to run the ball pretty well. And uh, Matt Ryan hopefully can uh, get back to that MVP level of last season and not the uh, – level he played at uh, against the Buffalo Bills because that was a a pretty horrible way to uh, go about things. Yeah, but uh, the Bills do have a good pass defense. He also didn't play great against the Lions. Right, that's right. The five He's thrown five picks in the last two games, but um, again, the Dolphins don't have an interception yet, and they rank 31st. The only team worse than them, Atlanta will play next week, the uh, Patriots, and pass defense efficiency. So, yeah, I think it uh, completely sets up for Atlanta to get back on track and – um, 
you know, come off the off week and get a win and still be in pretty good shape. Look, Atlanta still leads the NFL, which they did a year ago too, when they darn near won the Super Bowl in their yards per play differential. They're um, they're the only team that's in the top ten both offensively and defensively in that. So uh, it's been turnovers really that have kind of slowed the offense down. And I mean, a couple of guys have been hurt. Ryan Schrader's another one that I think is on mm-hmm. track to come back. Um, but you know, in that game against the Bills, when you lost Julio Jones and Mohamed Sanu, it was uh, yeah that clearly impacted the the outcome of that game but even then you still had a chance to win there at the end you know I mean the Falcons were driving and had they had one of those they might have but without them like oh look suddenly Taylor Gabriel can't catch a pass you're throwing to very tiny targets on the outside then within uh, Nick Williams and Taylor Gabriel sure and again the Bills do have a good defense the Dolphins do not, and their offense appears to be horrible too. They got shut out by the Saints. Yeah, that was. I mean, granted, that game was in London, so you got to throw that out there. But still, that was a. As a Dolphins fan, I'm sure you got up and watched, but it was a, a pretty uh, terrible way to start your Sunday morning. Well, when you, the their opening drive, it was like eight and a half minutes long, and then cu- it ended with Cutler throwing a pick in the end. That zone. sounds about right. Yeah, <laughs> but you know what? I believe he was standing during the national anthem. So, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so as long as he's as doing right. that, he should be the Miami Dolphins quarterback, or at least Matt Moore. I don't. I don't. <laughs> I, I'm with you. I don't understand what the because Matt Moore played last year, ended up playing the last three or four games mm-hmm. of the regular season and started the playoff game yeah I, I i i think he's he's better than cutler <laughs> that's not very hard though <laughs> but, i mean point. i don't know i don't know what's wrong with him i love jay cutler going out in the wildcat though and uh <laughs> and just standing there standing there although adam gase i think tried to cover for him it was like he was actually supposed to act apathetic i'm like what okay <laughs> well he, he's good at that yeah he certainly is yeah. good at that with the body language so that'll wrap things up for this edition of the crossover podcast open the dogs tcb take care of business against missouri and hopefully the falcons get that win and hopefully u.s soccer gets their head on straight basically is what i'm trying to well say. i think two of those are definitely gonna happen that third one there i don't know <laughs> yeah that one might be a that little harder like a big, that's a tall order that's more of a long-term project than the other two and uh, we're like so the next one's after Russia and Qatar, right? Or Qatar. Uh, 2022 is Qatar, yes. So Russia 2018, Qatar 2022, and most likely USA, Mexico, Canada triple bid for 2020. All right, because I was thinking like, well, you know, the U.S., I mean, this probably didn't want to go to Russia. But then after that, they probably don't want to go to Qatar either, so we might not be back in the World Cup for like 12 years or something. Oh, boy. Let's not think about that. For Chris Brame, I'm Sam Franco. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Crossover Podcast right here on 960theref.com. You've been listening to The Crossover with Sam Franco and Chris Brain on 960theref.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.